You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible is Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos, and you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. This week, Father Paul highlights the importance of Joseph's story. He and his kin were Hebrews and shepherds in the epitome of civilization, the land of the pharaohs and the pyramids, where, as a Hebrew slave, Joseph wound up saving Egypt from famine. I am delighted to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Okay, in the cycle of Joseph, and repeatedly, and I stress repeatedly, ad nauseam, you get sick at the end. Because you keep hearing Hebrews and shepherds, shepherds and Hebrews, in reference to the sons of Israel slash Jacob in Egypt. But already in Canaan, remember that Joseph was shepherding with his brothers. Shepherds, Hebrews, Hebrews, shepherd. You all know the story, so I'm not going to go in detail over these chapters. I mean, you read them on your own, and that's enough. But the interesting thing for me, is that the second part, or let's say the first part was Joseph in Canaan, and the second part Joseph in Egypt, which is the more important part of his life. He and his kin were Hebrews slash shepherds in the epitome of civilization the land of the pharaohs and the pyramids. That is what is important in the story of Joseph. Number two, linked to the first. There he lands as a Hebrew abed, a Hebrew slave, who ends up as the savior of the civilized Egypt, from famine. Fantastic story. That the Hebrew slave shepherds unto salvation both his kin, the Hebrew shepherds, and the Pharaonic Egypt. That is unbelievable. And one cannot but sense as my colleague Professor Skandar Abushar stressed in his latest book, which all of you should read. And forget about Western scholarship, just read his book. The story of Joseph looks ahead, or according to Abushar, is patterned after the Abed of Isaiah where his mission of salvation and peace is to both Israel and the Gentiles, 
as you all know. Okay? Very clearly. And in chapter 52, 53, where even kings are amazed at him, well, in the story of Genesis, this is reflected in the fact that this Abed becomes the Adon, the Lord, over the house of Pharaoh. You remember at one point where Pharaoh appreciates his wisdom. We're going to get to this text. And appreciates the fact that he has the spirit of God. It's written powerfully in the text. And he makes him the Lord. Whatever decision he takes regarding Egypt, it is as though he, Pharaoh, has taken it. Okay, and if you go to Philippians chapter 2, this is what you hear. You don't hear about the incarnation as theology makes it. No, you hear about a slave that is made into Kyrios, which is the rendering of the Hebrew Adon. A third element, Joseph is what he is, directly and simply by God's choice. Remember, he is not the first child, the Bekor. It's Reuben who is the first child. And he is not the last. The last is Benjamin. And actually his name, Yosef, means God will add unto that. In other words, someone else will come after Joseph whose name is very powerful, the son of my right hand. That's why the Benjaminites were the warrior tribe, the tribe from which came the first king, Saul, and so on. Joseph doesn't have any prerequisite, as though he doesn't have. He's sold immediately by his brothers, although he dreams, and we shall come back to that, and he has the correct interpretation of the dream, which comes back to us in his correct interpretation of the dreams of the people who were jailed with him in Egypt. You see the connection, the internal connection in this lengthy story. It is Joseph, and his name is tricky. I take it as a joke, in other words. God will keep adding. You start with him in chapter 37, you think he is done with, and you have to keep hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. And at the end you say, enough is enough. Let's gather his bones. And you think you have finished with him, and then his bones are brought up to your face in Joshua 24. I mean, what a great story. But to come back, he doesn't have any assets of any kind, but he is what he is by God's choice. And in this sense, he reflects the Isaiah's uh, servant. We hear that he has the Spirit of God. And Pharaoh said to his servants, in Genesis 41, 38 through 40, can we find such a man as this in whom is 
the spirit of God, powerful combination that we have early on in Genesis 1-2. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, and you see the submission of Pharaoh, not to his own decision, but to the will of God, it's a very interesting text, we'll get to it, there is none so discreet and wise as you are. And he made him his prime minister. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall older themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Okay? He is never the one who is in total and full control, exactly like the Abed in my commentary on Isaiah and scholars have pointed out the Abed is very tricky in Isaiah because it refers also to Cyrus who is also a shepherd and so on and as a footnote and I want to hammer it in you before I die time and again that's the trouble with Christian theology that was formulated against Christology, a figment of the imagination of the theologians. Because they cannot be God, obviously God is God, but they pushed to be like the Son of God. But they were interested to become gods, so they made the Son of God, God, which is not allowed even by the Nicene Creed. So, that's the trouble, and I'm going to repeat that to the irritation of all my Orthodox brethren, but who cares? And when I say Orthodox, you understand that I mean all Christians. They are all hung up on the Godhead of Christ and the Trinity and the equality among the three persons of the Trinity. You know that. And as I say, the funny thing is not even the Nicene Creed allows them that. It refers to the Father as the one God, but to Christ as the one Lord and the God from God. So this thing is very much understood in the Middle East. That's why not only the Jews, but also the Muslims do not have this problem. You know, God is God, period. You can play games with that. Another aspect is that the dreams are God's choice of communication. Once more, although I mentioned before, because the points are interconnected, that he begins with dreams in the land of Canaan, and then he continues with dreams in the land of Egypt. And then both of them interconnected when he introduces himself to his brothers in Egypt and they bow down to him and the texts say they remembered his dreams and his interpretation. One more time, the interconnection is either in the text or is not. You cannot force it.
But sometimes, and this is when the author considers that it is important that the author does so, he points it out himself. Now, for me, this is important also because it will be picked up by Matthew's Joseph, and I shall speak about that, with whom God communicates through dreams. It is so powerful. And all the scholars point out to that, that the mood of Matthew 1-2 is the mood of Genesis. You have even the list of all the fathers. Now, another point, I touched upon that earlier, but I want to take my time about it, and we're going to have a full chapter regarding this, that Judah, who becomes important in the story of Joseph, is pushed aside on purpose by the author, where we hear early on, in chapter 38, the story of Judah with Tamar, where he sleeps with his daughter-in-law, and then it's his children who become part of the genealogy in Matthew. In other words, his children are from his daughter-in-law and him. And this woman is mentioned among the four women mentioned in Matthew on purpose to show that things were not really plain and direct and sweet all the time in this genealogy. But the other one who's pushed aside is also Benjamin, his younger brother, who, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, will become important as the originator of the tribe when Saul, the first king of Israel, came. And notice Benjamin was very troublesome at the end of the book of Judges. We have a story about how the other tribes wanted to eliminate the Benjaminites. We shall see that. Benjamin means the son of the right hand, of the right side, means the number one after the one seated on the throne. And Benjamin, in the book of Samuel, you could see it was a tribe on a straddle between Judah and Israel. There was a debate, it was with whom, and so on. This is a reflection of the fact that they wanted to be their own people. So Benjamin is a powerful personality. You hear about it in the blessings of Jacob in Genesis 49 and also the blessings of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy.
The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.